The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy and registry in hotels and motels in Los Angeles. And this is a a really interesting case that has come up that we're going to speak about today. And we're very thrilled to have uh, Lisa Saronin, who is the executive director of the State and Local Legal Center and that is she comes to us from Virginia. In this role, Lisa files amicus curiae briefs to the United States Supreme Court on behalf of members of the Big Seven, which are the National Governors Association, the National Conference of State Legislatures, Council of State Governments, the National League of Cities, the United States Conference of Mayors, the National Association of Counties, and the International City-County Management Association. And she does this in cases that are affecting state and local government. Prior to joining SLLC, Lisa worked for the National School Boards Association, which years ago, I didn't tell you, Lisa, that I sat on the school board, and also the Wisconsin Association of School Boards, and she clerked for the Wisconsin Court of Appeals, and she went to law school where I went to undergrad, and we are both badgers from the University of Wisconsin, so we found that out just before the show. So thank you, Lisa, so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I had read the article. There was like a a point and counterpoint um, where yours was labeled registry searches are a valuable law enforcement tool. And then the counterpoint was court must keep protecting privacy. So let's talk about this case in Los Angeles. It's called Los Angeles versus Patel. What What is kind of the issue with um, Los Angeles and the ordinance that they have and how this whole thing came about? So Los Angeles has a hotel registry ordinance, um, and it basically requires hotel guests to provide the hotel with a, a variety of, of demographic information like name, address, length of stay, um, method of payment, um, and, and those sort of things. But if someone is paying in cash or it ha- doesn't have a reservation, 
um, or is, stay, is paying by the hour and staying less than 12 hours, that person is required then to also uh, turn over an ID that is where the, the number of the ID is recorded as is the expiration date. Um, so police are able to inspect these hotel registries um, without having to be issued, without having to issue a warrant. So hotel owners uh, sued Los Angeles claiming that this ordinance violates their Fourth Amendment rights. And um, these ordinances, interestingly, are quite common throughout the United States, uh, and they're particularly common in California. There's about 70 cities that have them, and there's hundreds of cities throughout the United States that have them, uh, and two states that have state laws, um, as far from California as you can imagine, Maine and Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Now, aren't they also um, allowed to take the license plate number of the guest vehicle, too? Yes, and that's true for all of all of the guests. Right, right. Okay, so um, the issue is the privacy rights of the motel and the hotels, rather than basically the privacy rights of the of the hotel residents. Is is that correct? How they're yeah, that's a that's a fair way to characterize the case. I think intuitively, it's easy to see this as a case involving. Uh, the privacy rights of the individuals, but it's really the hotels that re- that maintain the information, and it's them that have to turn over these registries um, for the police to inspect. In fact, this came up at the oral argument where Justice Scalia said, sort of rather sarcastically, "You can't see my registry; it's dear to me." Sort of making fun of the idea that um, that you know that these hotels really hold this data close to their hearts in the same way that an individual might hold this information. Um, right, right. So, um, so what actually happened? What what is the legal issue that this that the Supreme Court was trying to resolve? It was a Fourth Amendment issue, right? Right. The issue involves, um, I guess, as it's ultimately been framed by the parties, the issue is whether or not um, police can issue a subpoena that a hotel or motel operator could object to before a judge before police officers could then inspect the registry. So that's how, through all the litigation, the uh, the issue has ultimately been framed, whether a subpoena is required to view these registries or whether it's not required. So help me understand um, what the challenge is about getting a subpoena. Is that something that's going to be so overwhelming for the government or for law enforcement to get that subpoena? Is that, I mean, how long does that take? Is that, what is the, the, um, the argument of why they can't get the subpoena? So the challenge, actually, to the subpoena doesn't involve any issue of, of how to get it. It's the... It, uh, my understanding from the oral argument is that, you know, sort of police officers could carry the paperwork in their cars and complete the subpoena, you know, just sort of sitting outside the motel or hotel and present it. So the challenge isn't the actual acquiring of of the subpoena or how difficult it would be. It's the fact that once the subpoena is issued, then the hotel operator can say, no, I don't want to respond to the subpoena. I want to be able to object, and I want to object before a judge. So time would pass before between the hotel operator saying, I want to object, and, um, and a court actually hearing the hotel operator's objection. And why that's significant is this. I'll give you an example that sort of just highlights the significance. Okay. Imagine um, you're a police officer, and you, you, know, you drive up to a crime-ridden hotel. 
uh, and you notice there are 10 cars in the lot, and you want to inspect the registry to make sure the hotel is keeping records of those 10 cars. So you go in with your subpoena, and you say to the operator, here's my subpoena. I would like to inspect your registry. Well, and the hotel, hotel operator says, nope, you can't. I'm going to object to your subpoena. So three weeks later, a judge hears that challenge. What is the hotel operator going to do when the police officer leaves? A smart hotel operator is going to look at all the things that were observable to the police officer at that moment, namely the cars in the lot. And that hotel operator is going to make sure there are 10 entries on that date in the registry. So basically, the officer can't do his or her job of inspecting the registry and making sure it's accurately being kept if the hotel operator has time to doctor the records between the subpoena being issued and a judge ruling on the subpoena. So that's the issue. Right. So what about the ordinary consumer who uses the hotel? Um, what, what about their privacy rights? Has that come in at all in terms of the oral argument that, that um, the, the hotels and motels have any duty to protect that information? Has that become an issue at all? The parties basically agree that there is a reduced privacy interest for the individuals once they turn over um, over their information to a hotel. But I think the justices are still conscious of the fact that m- most Americans might be uncomfortable with their information being released, be it by the individuals themselves or the hotels. Um, specifically, though, one thing that came up during our argument that's sort of interesting and, and I think sort of casts the privacy concerns perhaps in a different light is the fact that, that the justice acknowledged that most hotel operators would consent to the search anyway because you, the, one thing that's important to keep in mind about these searches is that the, the point of the, the searches are not so much to determine whether crime is being committed in the hotel, which is what a typical search is for. It's rather to just determine whether the records are being kept or not. So a hotel operator, himself or herself, if the, if the records are being kept, doesn't mind if the police look at the registry because all the police are checking for is to see if the records are actually being kept. So, um, so I think that the, the fact that consent is common um, and the fact that the hotel owners don't have you know, this strong privacy interest themselves in the, in the register did affect some of the dialogue um, in the oral argument. So how about the effectiveness of deterring crime? Is there any evidence that, that these ordinances really do deter crime, too? So Los Angeles' brief covers this very effectively. I mean, they explain that the history of what, what they call parking meter hotels. Um, they've emerged in the last couple of decades, um, and there's, there's a series of them in, in a variety of locations where people can rent rooms by the hour. And the advantage of doing so is you can have these rooms in, in basic uh, anonymity, unless, of course, there's a registry. And so they tend to attract uh, three crimes in particular, drug dealing, prostitution, um, and human trafficking. Right. And what Los Angeles did is they looked at data f- uh, regarding five hotels, and it was data involving the six months before the ordinance stopped being enforced and then six months after the ordinance was no longer being enforced. And what they noticed um, at these five sample hotels was an 82% increase in crime around the hotels, which illustrates the fact that they are a, a magnet for crime um, and, and presumably that um, with the deterrent no longer there, meaning the registries no longer being searched, that those hotels became all the more attractive um, as havens 
havens for crime. And I also think there's, there's a, a common sense sort of element to this, too, uh, of the fact that, uh, you know, businesses and other residential areas don't want to be um, located next to these hotels. They cause blight, declines in property value, and, and other things that maybe aren't as easy to document as rising crime, but are just kind of common sense. Right, right. So, um, so why does Los Angeles argue that the warrant isn't really required if, if most of the uh, motel owners or, or caretakers or managers would consent anyway? So why do they, you know, why do they argue that the warrant isn't required? Well, from the from Los Angeles's perspective, um, there there is a an, an exemption an exception to the warrant requirement that they see this case as falling sort of squarely in. Um, specifically, the the exception has kind of a long name, but it's the administrative exceptions in a closely regulated business. Basically, the Supreme Court has said. If you have a closely regulated business, a business that's subjected to an inordinate amount of regulation, um, and that business is required to keep records, that doing administrative inspections, like the inspection in this case, merely to see that the records are being caught, are, are being, um, are being uh, kept, um, that, that that sort of activity that's, that's not um, criminal enforcement in nature is just exempt from the Fourth Amendment. Um, exempt from a warrant requirement, exempt from a subpoena requirement. It's just sort of an administrative function that police are accomplishing to check and see whether hotels are doing what they're supposed to do. So that's how Los Angeles views this case, that there's a long line of cases on these closely regulated business, and this falls neatly within it. Los Angeles also relies on the fact that, um, you know, what's interesting about these ordinances is that they, they track back to Europe in the Middle Ages. And so, you know, our notion of the, of the Fourth Amendment in a lot of ways harkens back to what the, the founders thought of the Fourth Amendment. And certainly at the time of the founding of this country, um, you know, the founders were looking back to Europe where, you know, these registries were kept open, no warrants were required. In fact, Los Angeles' brief dis- describes um, very interestingly how Hotel registry ordinances in the 1800s were sort of like the Google of that century. It was the registry ordinances, the, the, the registers weren't just open to police. They were open to the general public. So if you wanted to see what was going on in a hotel, you would just go down there and look at the ordinance. And this was considered a social activity, much like Googling people now these days. Um, so there's been a long history of... of Having these these registries and not having them, um, not having a warrant for them or a subpoena, it's just sort of the way things have been done for centuries. So let me ask you something. So if it, if it's you know I I I guess from just a first blush, I mean I understand to prevent crime and especially you think of prostitution, you think of you know slave tra- uh, trafficking or what they call now the these pregnancy tourism but that we have out here in California, you know, trying to prevent that kind of stuff. I mean, to me, the, the, the issue of preventing crime makes more sense than just the administrative, because if it was just to see if they're keeping these records, they wouldn't really be looking in depth at people's driver's license numbers and, and uh, tr- truck or uh, vehicle license, right? I mean, so I guess that's the thing that gets me. I mean, it seems to me 
on first blush that the idea of preventing crime is good public policy, but having that much uh, information um, just for administrative, if they just said, well, do you keep records, show us the records, but to go in depth and look at every record and compare every record when there is no criminal reason, that that I'm having a little bit of a challenge with. Well, to fall within this exception um, for the closely regulated business, it has to be the case that the inspections are being done um, to make sure the records are actually being being kept. So, so Los Angeles focuses on that aspect of the inspection. Uh, and it's a true aspect of the inspection. The, the inspections are being done to make sure the records are being kept. But the whole reason why records are being kept in the big picture is to deter the crime. Um, because, as I said before, the criminals don't want to... They don't want people to know what they're doing and where they are and where they're going. And presumably, too, if, if a police officer is doing an inspection and he or she is looking at the registry, and in the course of determining whether the registry is being kept, notice as on the day he or she happens to be there, a noted criminal in the ho- hotel, it's, it's hard to believe the police are going to just turn a blind eye to that. Right. Um, so those, I think the... That's an exigent circumstance, right? That's, yeah, right. So, yeah, but yeah. I, I think for those, the two purposes, sort of, Work together, and they and they and they mix in and merge in some ways that cannot be sort of neatly neatly defined. Um, because, like I said, even though the purpose of the registry is to deter crime, the purpose of the inspection is to make sure the registry is being kept. But it all becomes kind of circular. Yeah. I guess is probably the best way of describing it. Yeah, yeah. I guess I worry about things, and and I'm I'm just going to take the devil's advocate here. I mean, I just worry about. If a cop thinks his wife is having an affair with somebody, and, you know, and he wants to see if uh, if his wife is there in, in her car or boyfriend's car or something, you know, that that's it just seems like uh, that would be an easy way to do it. If he thinks that she might be going to a hotel that afternoon, just, you know, for those kinds of purposes, I just worry about that. Well, I think that's a completely legitimate concern. And um, the hotel owner's in that case, although maybe not the people actually in the rooms, do have recourse against the police if they feel that the police are, are using um, these registries to harass them right. and to harass their guests, or if they're using the registries um, for law enforcement purposes rather than seeing whether the registries are being kept. And the reason why this is, I say this is the case is that the other side's argument in this case essentially is you know, a subpoena should be possible in these cases, and the grounds for a subpoena that are legitimate are the police are, are not actually trying to see if registries are being completed. They're trying to harass us or harass someone else. Or um, they're, they're trying to, you know, use this for um, criminal enforcement reasons. So, so the hotel would have some recourse in the event they thought an officer was doing that. Um, but, you know, that's not the easiest problem to solve because it really is the, 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 the significant other, the spouse of the, of the police officer, who in this case would be the, you know, the person most harmed rather than the right. hotel right. by right. her husband finding out this information. Exactly. But, but, the hotel, but my point is just that there, there is some recourse for hotels, even if it's not perfect, and even if it won't protect um, the privacy of individuals in an ideal way. Right. So if hotels are closely regulated businesses, what businesses... Uh, won't be considered closely regulated under this 
So this is the subject of a lot of discussion at oral argument. It was the subject of, of uh, a briefs by the Chamber of Commerce and Google. The fear, I think, um, uh, among other communities is that, you know, the, the court has, has applied this closely held exception in, in just a couple instances. Burger, which was the first case, involved a scrap metal deal, dealer. Um, but there, there are tons of industries that keep records. I mean, from employers uh, to, you know, like Google, companies like Google. Right. And, and the idea is, well, what if the court said, okay, you know, there can be administrative inspections of these hotel registries. Can't there now be administrative exceptions for Google or, or administrative searches for Google or for labor records? So labor records is the, is the example that came up during the oral argument Justice Kagan brought right, up. Right, right. And I think there's probably, I think, I think there's a couple, I have a couple thoughts on that. One is, I think the court is, is deeply concerned about that, probably because of the amicus briefs. And whatever opinion it writes, um, it, it's not going to allow the floodgates to be open that every single business that keeps records can now be inspected. I think, because I, like I said, the justice, I think, were very sensitive to that point. And, and so I, it's important, I think, to keep in mind that the exception is for these closely regulated businesses. And the law of regulation for hotels is really something that you kind of can't imagine unless you think about it. For example, if you go to a hotel in California and you're given a plastic glass of water in your a plastic glass of water in your room, there is an ordinance that says, or a state law that says, that glass has to be covered with plastic. I mean, that's the sort of level of regulation that we're talking about um, that affects hotels. The room rate, where the room rate's said, the size of the rooms. I mean, almost everything you can imagine about a hotel is regulated. So it's easy to sort of see the hotels as sort of unique in and of themselves. The other thing is, the closely regulated test is actually a little bit more complicated and more detailed than other than just being closely regulated. There's other steps to the test. For example, the government has to have a good reason to search or to do these administrative searches. The search has to further its interests, and it has to have some sort of processes similar to a warrant. So the, the test isn't just closely regulated, but there, there's something else that, that is unique about the hotels that I think the court will focus on or that makes hotels different than, let's say, Google or, or other things. Hotels are places of public accommodation. They have to take all comers. Um, and so um, they've always been more regulated and sort of seen as different um, than other enterprises. So I, I don't think the court will allow, if the court rules for Los Angeles, I don't think the court will allow this to be one of those, oh, my, the sky is falling cases. Now every business under the sun will be subjected to warrantless administrative exceptions. I don't think we have to worry about that just because I think of the court's sensitivity to that argument as it expressed it in, in the um, oral argument. So how can they narrow it down? I mean, uh, how, how can they keep it really narrow as opposed to, like you said, uh, um, when you get your car fixed or I wonder about even hospitals or hospitals are closely regulated. Can they just do that for hospital too? I think... I think they might focus on the, some of the nuances of hotels and motels, the fact that they are places of public accommodation. Um, I don't know exactly how they're going to do that. Though. I think that's yeah. going to be one of the trickier aspects of the yeah. opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and the argument didn't get into that sort, of, into that sort of, of depth. The other thing, too, is they might not look at the closely regulated exception. They could say, oh, you know, th- this is just a reasonable search because we've been doing these searches since the Middle Ages. So there's other, there's other things the court could rely on other than that closely 
um, regulated exception. But if they do, I think it's going to be some some clever drafting to make that work. Yeah. You know what else came to mind? And again, I'm just kind of thinking about all the arguments is that, you know, when you think of the Nazi era where the Nazis could go and see if there were any Jews or any, uh, you know, people who were un, you know, unfavorable so to, to their to their regime that they could go and search and, and do these things. And I think that um, that is something that people would be afraid of as well, that that could that these uh, hotel owners um, would would have to be beholden to the government to give everybody who's in their in their hotel. Um, I just wondered about that. You know, I wonder if they have any ordinances like that in Europe. I would imagine that they don't in Germany, especially because Germany is probably so sensitive to that. Do you know? Yeah, that? yeah. I, I don't know, but I would imagine that a country like Germany would have a sensitivity to this. I think another consideration in all this is that, you know. The amount of resources that police can can spend on looking at these registries is limited, um, and and that is another factor that that limits how how aggressively they're utilized. And even if if registries could be searched in all sort of industries, um, you know, we simply don't have the resources to sort of accomplish it. And, and you know, what's interesting about this ordinance is that it applies equally to the to the Ritz Carlton as it applies to you know one of the parking meter motels. Right. And presumably, right. you know, police are are using it more at the parking meter motels because it was intended, you know, in the big picture to deter, to deter crime. Um, so there are limited police resources working on this, and the limited police resources that are being utilized are focusing on areas where presumably, you know. Those registries are going to make a difference. Where criminals are checking in a regular basis into these hotels and would be less inclined to do it if they knew their their information could be available to police. So that that I think is some that's a kind of a reality check on the on the privacy concerns. So was that pretty much the argument that the state and local legal center argued in your brief? So what we did in our brief was was basically two things. Um, the we had a, a clinic from George Mason Law School um, work on our brief, a Supreme Court clinic, and they combed through, uh, you know, every ordinance you can imagine in the United States and came up with hundreds of these ordinances. And the point that I'm making to the court was. Look, don't upset the apple cart. There's a lot of ordinances in the country that do this in big cities, in small towns, and, you know, this is just kind of the way we, we've been doing business in the United States for a long time. So our brief said, you know, look, court, if you say this, this scheme is unconstitutional, it's going to affect hundreds of cities throughout the United States. The second argument that we made, it's kind of the flip side of the argument that the, the Google and um, the Chamber of Commerce are making, is we said, look, there are a lot of businesses um, that are sort of like hotels that have to keep registries for sort of similar reasons. Um, scrap metal dealers are one example that sort of emerged in the last couple of years when certain metals have gotten to be more valuable. Pawn shops another great example. Massage piles another example. And um, as are uh, mobile home parks, where they're required to keep records and administrative searches are done to make sure the records are being kept. But in the big picture, the 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 records are being kept to deter crime, um, for all the obvious reasons. And we say in our, in our amicus brief, look, court, if you say that this scheme is unconstitutional, it could also affect these other schemes that are done for the same reason to sort of deter to de- 
the searches are done to deter, to deter crime. And um, so those are the points that, that we made in our amicus brief. So uh, amicus briefs in general sort of want to do want to do kind of three things. They want to say to the court, look, um, if you do this, you're going to upset the apple cart. Um, you know, and if you do this, other laws are going to be affected. And if you do this, it'll have bad consequences for our clients, you know, state local government in this case. And it was really fun to file the amicus brief in this case because even though there are arguments on the other side, this, this case has all, has all those advantages for us. I mean, there is a strong crime deterrent aspect to this case. There would be other statutes that would be affected that would be similar, and there would be other statutes in the country that are identical that would be affected. So we were able to sort of make, a, I think, really great amicus arguments to the court in this case. Yeah, well, we only have a couple minutes left, so I think because this is going to be, be coming down probably at the end of June, uh, how do you think this case is going to turn out? Very briefly, I think Los Angeles will win. Uh, I don't think it'll be a unanimous victory. I think Justice Kagan and Justice Sotomayor made it very clear that they did not support Los Angeles's position. Um, but I still see it as a winner for L.A. In, uh, and hopefully we'll get an interesting, uh, uh, interestingly written dissent if there, if there is one. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for all your time and expertise. And we'll tell people to go to statelocallc.org to find out more. Thank you, Lisa. And we'll, we'll keep in touch, okay? Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website, at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and write us about what you think is important for privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.